Um, before we jump into the teaching today, many of you know that this week we took time uh, to take a day for Truth and Reconciliation. And much of what we've seen over the last, obviously, number of years, but what has come to light obviously has been devastating with the residential school situation in our country. Uh, I'm thankful for the posture towards taking a day, and there's something beautiful about that. But as I think about that as well, I also think that there's something a little different about the church. I celebrate that our culture, our government, our world is reflecting on these things, and we should. And you know this, it should go beyond a single day. But as I think about the church's posture as well, we come to these things a little differently. More than just a day of emphasis, the Jesus community should be a community that enters into this with lament. This is what the Jesus God followers have always done, lament for our wrongdoing and repentance. So not just words, and I'm thankful for the moment we're in where there's voices all over that have been able to lead the way in this, but more than just like a social media post, and I'm on social media, so I know that that can be valuable, or more than just a day, we want to enter into uh, a community of repentance. This is the one thing that is different with the church. It's not a one-off thing. We are able to walk together as a community and embody this as, as a community together. And because we do this, we, we meet weekly together. Um, something happens in us as we lament and we repent. And so I just want to take a moment this morning, again, with everything said about what has been done this week, um, the education that my children are getting around this and hopefully will continue to understand in deeper ways. I just feel as a church community, we need to embody this through repentance. And so I want to take a moment here. You know what? You sat down. I'm actually going to get you to stand if that's okay. I think this is um, like kind of a holy ground kind of moment. As somebody who takes words very, very seriously in communication, you know, my, my life has been given to, I think, trying to think through thoughtful teaching. Some, in some ways, there's very, it's hard as we reflect on our moment with words. But I want to take a moment, and can we just take a moment, and would you pray, and would you bring your heart and life before God? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come today broken. God, we lament, we mourn the stories of injustice. And God, we know that you've called us to be a community, a just and righteous community. I pray that this would be on our lips in everything that is said and done. God, we ask that you would help us to turn. This is what repentance means, Jesus. You know this as you call people to follow you. To turn from their broken ways and follow you. And so, God, we say to you today that we, we want to step out. We want to be a community that turns from injustice, is a voice to the hopeless, to the broken. We think of what has transpired, and for many in this room, it's just um, 
become more and more evident over time the injustices in our residential school system here in this country, our indigenous brothers and First Nations brothers and sisters. We turn, but God, as a community, we turn to you, knowing that you are the great king. And even as we sang here this morning, you are the restorer, the redeemer, you are the one in all our brokenness, in all our faults, in all our systems that have been created to oppress others. That God, you've called us to be a voice here. We turn, we repent, we lament, but we also hold on to this day of your return, of you coming. We work in the meantime, and I pray that you'd help us in this. We come humbly asking for your love to work through us. I pray these things in your name, Jesus, but I also ask that, as has already been spoken, that this would be something that you would, would continue to do within us. I thank you for days of focus and emphasis, but may we be this righteous community. Do a deep work in us, I pray. My brothers and my sisters and in my life, I humbly come before you, God, as a, a leader of this community, knowing my own brokenness, my own bias, my own faults, and I turn to you, Jesus, asking for, your, we ask for your forgiveness, we ask for your light and your love to shine through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Find a seat. Find a seat. Amen. Good times. Well, uh, we're in a series right now. Some of you are new. We're in a series taking some time over the fall months. This has just been burning on my heart that we'd ask a question about our moment as we try and regather here. And the question is, if you've been here, you kind of know this, is, is it worth it? Like, we're just really trying to put it on the table. Like, all that we've seen, the shifts that we've seen in Canada the last decade or more, probably more, the last couple decades, and now into this thing called COVID-19, I know some of you just roll your eyes because you're like, do we have to talk about this? Well, COVID's kind of a thing. Um, but, you know, all the shifts and all the, the things that have taken place, we've just put before us, is the church worth it? Is what we do week in and week out, um, gathering together as the Jesus community with the world where you have the entire world basically in your pocket and most of us are engaged in some form of media where we get instant access to information and everything, does this really matter? We're busy, I know, in this room, we're busy people, but does this matter the church? So we've been kind of laying the blocks, you okay, hanging with me? We're laying the foundation a little bit. One, I, I'm gonna go back a little bit and just talk quickly about the last three weeks, which I don't do a lot, but just to help us. One, church is a gathering. This is what we un unpacked. According to the New Testament, amongst a generation of people, especially my age, that would love to say the church is who you are, not necessarily something you go to. We've just been talking, actually, according to the writers of the New Testament, they're very keen on this idea, ecclesia, of being a gathering of people together in a place. Actually, and I'm reteaching here, but the word a church was never used for a society or community. It was always used for a gathering of people. So the framework we get in the New Testament is the church is the church when they're, they're gathered together. We've just been saying maybe there needs to be a little distinction between church and disciple. I'm a disciple everywhere I go. This week I had lots of opportunities, friends and neighbors and in youth sports and everything. I was a disciple. But this morning, brothers and sisters, come on somebody, I am the church. Yeah? And so this kind of amps it up a little bit. Yeah, I got a woo. Two, two weeks in a row. Yeah, you stay on the front row. Please stay on the front row. 
So, and I think this, this just helps us. Um, I, I've said I'm not a very confrontational person, but I think we need to be careful of the churches everywhere I go because it kind of diminishes then what we do in here. So one, according to the New Testament, the church is a gathering. Two, is it worth it? Well, it is worth it because church is formative. And we just broke it down that we believe in formation in every area of our lives. Some of you are involved in dance or youth sports um, and, and other things. Music, where you know that every dribble, every drill, every edge on your skates, every dance move, every scale on the piano, it forms you into a particular kind of person so that when the day comes to actually be in the game, it's natural. It's an, an, a natural outflow of your life. And we've been saying that in a, kind of in a generation of people, a lot of people I know that are like, church, boring, like what does this really do? We're going, I've, you have no, seen by now, I'm going the other way. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The Psalms we read this morning. We're going to read a prayer as we go back out. Teaching, coming to the table, every sense, everything we feel in our bodies when we come together actually shapes and forms us. I've, I've said, I've been at the rink a lot the last couple weeks, uh, a ridiculous amount of time, and I believe every little thing that happens forms these boys as we lead them. You guys lead in youth sports, and there's other areas too. You know this. We, we know this in other areas of our lives, and so we threw it out to you guys. Church is formative. Let's hear it. What is teaching and music? What are these things? What does coming to the table do for me? And it was beautiful to hear some voices say, okay, maybe is it worth it? I'm a little biased, but may, maybe it is. Maybe... Maybe rethinking formation is a way to help us, like, really elevate the idea of church. And then last week, of course, we talked about church's perseverance. So the writer of Hebrews, obviously, it's a one-off verse that we often kind of, like, just throw out there as, like, a cherry-pick verse. Nobody ever does that, right? Sometimes it gets, like, on a coffee mug or whatever, that you're not supposed to give up gathering together. And I absolutely believe that. But it was fascinating in the writer's language that one of the things church does is it helps us persevere to love and good deeds. That being together in the community actually forms and shapes us in a way that helps us in a world where if you're a Jesus follower, we're ultimately called to swim upstream in a lot of how we live. This is a beautiful place that helps us persevere. That staying connected to a body is going to help. I just love this, the song choices this morning. Just like to, pushing towards this particular day. And the point is, is if you're really following Jesus, we actually need this because it helps us persevere. Now, deep breath. Everybody okay? Big intro. I know. That one was, that was pretty big. Um, now, listen, I know we do this, and I do this at times. We often kind of idealize and idolize the first century church, the early church. Have you ever done this? You read Acts 2.42, and you hear about this community of people, and they're loving, and it's after, the, after Pentecost is kind of poured out, the Spirit's poured out, and they're loving and giving and serving and meeting together regularly, and everybody goes, I want that. And I do too, for sure. But sometimes what we do is we kind of idolize this little uh, group of people early on and don't realize some of the things that go on. Have you read the New Testament? Like, have you read 1 Corinthians? I know we went through it a few years ago. There's, some, uh, there's kids in the room, so I'm going to try and keep this as GPG as possible. There are some things going on in the church. So anytime somebody kind of says, I want to be like the early church, I know what they mean. They mean Acts 2. I want to read today, and I think this ties in 
to the bigger question of is it worth it. I want to read today something really unique. It's actually in Acts 15. If you have a Bible, I can read it as well with you. I'm going to just be in Acts 15 for a couple minutes. But the church in the first century, obviously the Spirit's poured out, and the book of Acts is like over several years. So you get the snapshot in Acts 2, but then you get these predominantly Jewish people going as apostles to take the gospel to the world. And what's fascinating is they are very much still, many of them, embedded in their upbringing, in the cultural kind of foundations, the religious foundations of their life. They are having, even some of the best apostles that we read about, a guy like Peter, is having a very difficult time understanding how Gentile people are responding to God and turning to him. If you don't know the Jewish Gentile language, Gentiles are basically anybody outside of God's people in the Old Testament, Abraham's line, the Jewish community, anybody outside of that is a Gentile. And certainly through Jesus' teachings, and you, you hear that this is going to be for everybody, but in their kind of ideology, they're having a hard time wrestling through if this really is for everybody. So much so, this is like, sounds weird, but so much so because, <laughs> I always think it's funny, Heather always rolls her eyes, why are you always talking about circumcision? And it's because like it's in the Bible and it's a thing and it's weird, I know. Like there's a whole book in, of letter of Galatians, it's all about like circumcision and all this stuff and you're like, she's like, why do you talk about this? It's here. Um, circumcision was a marker for the Jewish community this kind of outward marker, if you don't know what that is, ask your, sorry, I'm sorry, parents. This is, this is the thing with having kids and students in. Don't ask your parents. My kids are here too, so don't ask that. Uh, think about your favorite YouTube person right now. No, I'm just joking. Um, anyway, circumcision is this kind of outward marker for the Jewish community, and so they're like, okay. Even Peter's wrestling. He goes to this guy named Cornelius' house, who's like a Roman kind of soldier guy, he sees the Spirit of God poured out on, on him. It's like, holy cow, this is, this is not just for us in the covenant. This is for everybody. What it said was true. And they're wrestling through it so much that they literally have to get the church leaders in Jerusalem together for the first ever council called the Council of Jerusalem to sort out what they're going to do with people who are kind of outside of Abraham's line. So that's a little background. Let's read it. I do think this has, this is going to preach to us in a couple minutes, okay? It says this, verse 1, chapter 15. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you were circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. See, Heather, I'm just reading scripture. Just take it, all right? Verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into, listen, two brothers who were fairly close. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, and they, told, they were told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the, the believers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God, that God had done through them. Hanging with me? Going to read a little bit. Verse 5. Then, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, see, so these are like the religious people of the day, the Pharisees, they all, just a side note, they ultimately thought that the kingdom of, the way the kingdom of God would come is through Jewish piety, like through this particular group. 
that you would live so according to the law, 613 laws, that if everybody just obeyed, that it would kind of come. And so this put immense pressure on the community, but not only that, it spawned on extra laws. If you know, the 613 were taken and they heaped law upon law. This is why Jesus comes back and is like, yo, like there are things in the Torah that are important, but there are things that you've kind of heaped onto this. So the Pharisees stood up and said this, the Gentiles must be circumcised, there it is again, and required to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So Peter gets up. He's bringing clarity. Verse 12, I know this is a lot, but it helps kind of set the stage. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul, telling about the signs and wonders that God had done amongst the Gentile people, including Cornelius. And when they finished, James, James, the brother of Jesus. I love this. James gets up. Now, I love this just in the drama. Think of it not just as like information, but think of the story. You know why I believe, here, here, I just want to take a side note. You want to know why I believe Jesus is the Messiah? One of the reasons, logically, I believe Jesus is the Messiah is because his brother believed it. And if I told my brother that I was the Messiah, (laughs) king of the world, if he bought, listen, if your brother is going to buy into this whole thing, this just, for me, is one of the things that kind of makes it legit. And so with some authority being Jesus' brother, he gets up. And he begins to speak and he says, brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first uh, intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. There's a a prophecy. We'll just kind of skip down to verse 19. It is my judgment, uh, James says, therefore, that we should not make it difficult. (laughs) Yeah, make it difficult. We can nod our heads to that one. You're ma- kind of making it difficult when you're like new persons gathering to church is like circumcision. You know what I'm saying? Imagine our church. It's like, welcome to church, everybody. Come to like our potluck. We're going to introduce you to a few things. And there's a little room off to the side. <laughs> welcome. If you really want to be a part of this church, you got to basically give it. So um, verse 20. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain. Now listen, interesting here. Tell them to abstain from food polluted with idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on Sabbath. So I'm making light of it, but this is actually like a serious turn and moment in the church because the gospel is spreading to Gentile people And these guys realize this is not just about an external thing that we do, but you even hear it in the language here of both Peter and James that the the people of the covenant were to be these ones that lived for the sake of the world. 
And this decision is actually massive in how they live. They had to, I don't think I'm reading this wrong, they had to lay down their preference even in their ideology, in the way they were shaped even as children to understand that this, what God is doing in human history is for everybody. And they had to lay down something that was central to what they thought it meant to follow God. This picks up later, and, and Paul now, if you read later after that in the letters of the New Testament, is he's writing and helping primarily Gentile people, people that are not Jewish in that framework, and he's, the problems are all around these kind of different worldviews and the church coming together. The church actually being a place that had different backgrounds and places and people coming from different spots so that they would come in and kind of learn to worship together. And this is what it made it really hard. So in Galatians, Galatians, we're probably going to actually go through the letter of Galatians and started in a few weeks. I'm really excited about it. Paul has to say, amongst all the mindset in Christ, all of you are children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And then he says, there's no Jew or Gentile, no slave nor free. There's no male or female. For you are all, all of you, one in Christ Jesus. If, and then the, the crazy thing, if you're a Jewish person reading this, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Through repentance, through allegiance and faith, coming into the church community as evidence of that, now all of you are this community of people that have been brought in, and it doesn't matter where you come from, your background, what your life experiences have been, what your ideologies are, we are all one. You pick it up what I'm putting down, brothers and sisters. So then you get to 1 Corinthians 11. This is, you've heard me talk a lot over the years if you've been around on 1 Corinthians 11. It's the communion or Eucharist passage where Paul is flipping out on the church. He is losing his mind in letter form to the church. He says to them in the following directives, I have no praise for you. That your meetings, so that when you get together in, in community, they actually do more harm than good. Like imagine Paul writing us saying, well, basically your Sunday morning gatherings, you should stop because they do more harm than good. He goes on, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as the church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it, no doubt there have been differences among you to show which of you has God's approval. So then, he says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's supper you eat, for when you are eating it, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers and you devour, and he goes on and basically says, and communion was in a home at this time, some of you, the, the rich, are coming and you're taking the best wine and the best food at the church gathering and eating it and getting drunk and you're leaving your brothers and sisters of lower status out and this is creating deep conflict within the church. Now, you got snapshots here. Council at Jerusalem, everybody is in. Jew, the Jewish, even the apostles are like, we're having a hard time with this. This is crazy, the spirit is breaking out. Paul has to continually put before the community doesn't matter where you come from. You're a part of God's family. You are heirs of the kingdom. You were brought into Abraham's line. This is beautiful. And then you have these little quibs in these house churches, and he's continually saying, doesn't matter what social status, we come, and the thing that makes the church different is we come together, not based on preference, but based on allegiance. Now, 
I'm, some of you know my story. I'm now like walking in, uh, as a therapist and I'm working as a kind of a student therapist and I've just seen how important vulnerability is and some of my other friends in the community that are in that line of work, you know this. So let me be a little vulnerable, all right? It is very, this is the journey I've been on and as I thought through this particular teaching series, this wasn't even on my radar. I thought, we have things to talk about. We need to understand what the church is. We need to understand formation. We need to understand the persevering nature of the church. I didn't think we would talk about preferences, but I think it's actually an important piece of the story. I have preferences. There are communities that I attract to because of my interests. Many of you know, and you just roll your eyes at this, I am a sports guy. Like, I'm here talking to you, but in the back of my mind a little, I'm thinking about Tom Brady throwing touchdowns tonight. It's just who I am. I try and apologize. It's just the way I'm wired. There are certain communities and places and spaces that I naturally just draw into because of my interests. I like reading books by dead guys, and if there was like a group study on that, I'd be in there. I love youth sports, and if you know like my involvement with kids and hockey, like this is very much a place and space where I come alive. But I've noticed, and we need to wrestle through this, especially post-pandemic, I have noticed that these communities very much are based around interest and can be very monolithic because it's around interest. It draws the same types of people with the same types of ideas for the most part. And one thing we have to wrestle through is that the church is actually a different place and space when it comes to preference. That actually one of the things that we do when we come and we're a part of a community is there is a sense that we come and we lay our preferences down. And this is something we need to think through. As people in this room who come from different backgrounds and have different interests, the church is actually, you listen to it in Paul's language, that the church is actually different. So much so, I've been reading a lot uh, over, the, over the years just about why this little group of people that you read about in Acts went from a little kind of sect of Judaism to explode in the Roman world. A lot of people like Rodney Stark and there's a number of great books. I think one guy's name is Tom Holland wrote a great book on this where they just talk about what the church community did with their bodies. This, this subversive way with their bodies and with their generosity and their money, but as well, the thing that lit the world up in the Roman world was this diversity, not only in cultural background, but socioeconomic background that was an apologetic to the world. Who are these people? Like, who are these crazy people that have all sorts of people from different backgrounds and socioeconomic statuses coming together, that it was this apologetic to the world of, whoa. And it was actually a thing that put on display God's work because it was every tribe and tongue and it was drawing people from every place and space of society. And I've, I've, I've just been thinking about preferences because I've, nev I've never had the opportunity to actually like search for a church that I go to. I know that's part of a process. It sounds like an amazing process. I've never had that. I don't even know what that's like. So some of you, like, you go through that and there's nothing wrong with that. But I do think as I think about my own kids' generation and the generation that comes, I think if we want a church 20 and 30 years from now, it has to go beyond 
just preference, personal preference. There has to be something in us that would say we're actually going to lay things down for the greater good of the community. I was thinking of it like this. It's almost like we, this is going to sound crazy to some of you, it's almost like we need to learn to not like the church, but to love it. It's almost as though, I think this is the church of the future and the church that God wants in communities, is that we kind of lay down a lot of times our likes and our preferences and we learn to love it, love our brothers and sisters. So like with the other areas that I'm more drawn to kind of like as people like me or interest-based, I mean, it's pretty easy. I think one of the things as I've been thinking about my kids and just hearing how well youth went on Sunday, I'm getting older, I got kids now in this, this age range and I think about their lives and I think we all need to learn how to lay down our preferences, not only for the next generation, but to be a church and place that would see every culture, nation, tongue, that would move from a monolithic space to a place where poor and rich would sit beside each other and, and enter into community together. And I just think if we don't teach our kids this and the next generation, there could be challenges with the church because what will happen is it'll just be based on preference or everybody looking the same. Even deeper than this is, and I know, like, all of us long deeply for relationships and for friendship. And if you hear the heart of our team here, we want you to make friends. We like, some of you are making lifelong friends in this community. It's beautiful. But I also think, as we talk about is it worth it and what the church should look like, in some ways it goes even deeper than friendship. Uh, Michael Frost, there's also a great um, sociologist back in the 70s, talked about how we often use the word community as something to kind of explain the different kind of places we're in, like a church community. This is a good way of describing And you hear us use that word a lot. Community, I use that word a lot. But this word communitas over the generations has kind of come to the forefront. Basically, it's a Latin noun that commonly refers to either an unstructured community in which people are equal or to the very same spirit of the community. In communities, what happens is we typically, when we talk about community, is we kind of attract to communities that we like. And what Michael Frost would say is, the church should really become this communitas. So yes, we have Jesus as the center and the common interest among us, certainly, but there's something different about the Jesus community. It's communitas because it's common. We are all equal. We are all on the same playing ground. It's not about preference or friendship, even though you'll, you have your preferences and great friends will be built in this, this, this church, but it will be about communitas, about the other, about laying our lives down. And so as we talk about formation, as we talk about community, I just want to remind us that as we step into our future, that maybe some of us, including myself, need to lay preferences down for the greater of the community. And here's the funny thing. I'm addressing this with not really feeling any tension in this area. You know how some pastors get up and they just preach about what's going on midweek? It's not like, it's not like this is something we need to address like in the sense of it's happening in the community. It's been more just as we look to the future and the kind of people that we want to become. 
this picture of we do not keep people on the outside, but every tribe, nation, and tongue, every background, every socioeconomic position, and this is one of the beautiful things about being in this area and a wonderful building where we come together, but we know that there's lots of need and different things around us. We want to be this people that doesn't live by preference and not even necessarily by friendship, but by communitas, this community that comes together, whether Greek or Jew, slave or free, male or female, this is the kind of people that God wants us to become. And so as we think about the, and we're going to come to the tables here, as we think about the formational nature of the church, I want us to have this kind of story on our minds and our hearts. It seems ridiculous 2,000 or whatever it is years later to think a community was really wrestling through these kind of markers to come into the church, right? Can we just be honest? Like, that, like for those of us that have, you know, kind of evolved, this kind of seems crazy. But I do think as we come to the table and I think about Paul's instruction, it's better that you don't, like when you gather together, you're doing more harm than good. I want to think, us to think through this morning the posture that we come with, the prejudices we come with, not just cultural prejudice, but a lot of times, and, I, and we, I, we sense this at times, people that look like me or are interested in the things that I'm in or hold the same socioeconomic status that I hold. Um, I think one of the things the table can do this morning is just remind us that all of us are invited to this. Brothers and sisters, is the church worth it? It is, yes. We not only have woohoos, but we have yeses. I love it. We're, we're, we're progressing here as Praxis Church. Behind the masks, there's some things coming out. It's good. Certainly formation, but my hope, my prayer would be, maybe there are some communities. I'm sure some of you would dissect in your mind or heart. Well, there are communities in society that are kind of what we hear and what we've been wrestling through this morning, but there is no place like the church. There is no place like the gathered people of God. This is what we're called to.